Hi, this is Dr. Kim, your host and dual board certified psychiatrist for It's Like This Podcast. I just want this to be your safe space and a brave space to explore your mental and spiritual health to make sense of it all. In this podcast, we're going to find out together who you really are, what you're really capable of, and how you're going to get there. I am so excited that you're here. And let's enter this brave space together. So in this episode, we're going to be continuing to explore the last four of the eight cognitive distortions. And at the end, we're really going to talk about what we can do with that. So stay tuned until the end. The fifth cognitive distortion is magnification or catastrophizing versus minimization. So magnification. Magnification. magnification or catastrophizing means that you're taking the small detail and you're blowing it up to be the worst case scenario. And minimization is you're taking a big significant event and you're minimizing it to nothing. So when your partner doesn't respond to text and you lead to, you know, he's cheating on me, that's catastrophizing because you get one detail of not responding you fast enough and you're jumping to conclusions, right? We said that there will be overlap and also catastrophizing into worst case scenario. Minimization is when you have an alcohol issue and multiple people, multiple family members and friends came to you that you have an alcohol problem and you need to get help. Is that minimizing that problem. It's like, I'm fine. I don't have alcohol problem. I can control this. So this is an example of minimization. And why do we gravitate towards catastrophizing? is because expecting the worst case scenario gives us that comfort in knowing what the worst is, right? So that we can be prepared for it. But believing it actually leaves our life feeling meaningless and bleak. Because if you imagine every single detail of your life is always jumping into worst case scenario, what kind of life is that, right? You're always living in chaos and imagined chaos. And minimization, you know, you know, this is easier to understand. We gravitate towards minimization because as long as we don't think that the problem is big enough, we don't have to do anything about it. So there is that brief fleeting sense of comfort that everything is fine. And this is why we gravitate towards minimization. But you can understand that if you kind of, you if you stay in the state of denial about your alcohol issue, then it gets bigger and bigger and it does more damage to you and also people around you. But that's the danger of cognitive distortion of minimization. The sixth cognitive distortion is personalization. And essentially is an egocentric view of the universe, meaning that everything is about you. So if you are the person who kind of grew up and your parents said you will be mount for nothing, you're not good at anything, and then you get a bad um, grade on the SATs and you have a divorce and you have a series of bad events, personalization will sound like the world has gotten in for me. Um, the world is out to get me and you end up feeling hopeless or you come home and your spouse looks pretty mad and upset and you personalize it by he hates me and he wants a divorce, right? And you can kind of see the jumping to conclusions and catastrophizing here too, when it could be just a tough day at work. And personalization is one of the reasons why the mental health is so draining to other people. Because mental issues and cognitive distortions makes everything about us. 
and people who hate to be needy but can't help to be needy because everything is about them. So eventually, it leads to isolating the person with this cognitive distortion when you actually need the connection. So imagine, let's go back to the spouse whose husband comes back from work and he he's so upset, and she personalized it and catastrophizes it and says he hates me, he wants divorce. And then she lashes out, you know, like what's wrong with me? What did I do? You know, like you always look mad. You're making me feel uncomfortable. And then on top of that, let's say that he just had a tough day at work and he has no margin. He's yelling. He's fighting. Imagine fights like this day after day. It it might actually ends up with a divorce. And this is what we say: kind of cognitive distortion kind of fulfills your own prophecy. And this is how powerful cognitive distortion is. It leads to emotions. It leads to behavior that creates a situation, the very situation you are most afraid of, and it actually makes a reality. The seventh、uh, cognitive distortion is emotional reading, and I am so guilty of this. So this is an example when we take the emotions as an evidence of truth. So for me, there was a turning point in our marriage when I thought. Just because he's making me feel this way doesn't mean he intended for me to feel this way. Oh boy, I wish every newlywed knows this truth. Just because he makes you feel insecure doesn't mean that he wanted you to feel insecure. And I was doing this because he was making me feel insecure or anxious, and I was taking my emotions as an evidence of truth, right? Of and then also I was reading a little bit of mind reading, right? Like he's intending for me to feel this way. Do you, are you starting to see how cognitive distortions are so powerful? So let's go back to the cognitive triad and emotional reading, and why we should not take emotions as an evidence of truth. So cognitive triad goes thoughts to emotions, emotions to behavior. But if cognitive distortions, if your thoughts are twisted, it's gonna be more twisted in your emotions, right? It's gonna be out of context of what's really going on. And that's why you cannot use emotions because it's even more twisted than your own thoughts. But I understand that it's so hard to ignore the emotions and not take it as truth because some people feel emotions in their body, right? It is an evidence, but it doesn't have to be the evidence of the truth. So it is a data, it is an evidence, but it's not the truth. And the difference between reading your emotions as data. And evidence versus thinking that is the truth. So when you feel anxious, you can express emotions, and it leads to connection. But if how you feel is perceived as truth and nothing but the truth, then it creates dissension and disconnect between you and others. And that's the difference between using emotions as a tool or emotional reasoning as part of cognitive distortion that isolates you. And the eighth cognitive distortion. One of my worst—I'm so guilty of this—is the rules of shoulds and shoulds and must. So examples like strong person shouldn't ask, shouldn't need to ask for help, or you shouldn't be emotional outwardly is improper, or family must come first. This is what friends should do. All these rigid rules are like a yellow light or red flag to pay attention to. We. Develop these shoulds. You know, I mentioned cognitive distortion is kind of like a learned behavior, or even being a part part of culture that you had to survive in as a child. You absorb these shoulds and rules and must in your upbringing, 
But the reason why shoulds are so devastating is that nothing is as it should be. People who made these rules of shoulds break their rules of shoulds. So it always leads to feeling of shame and guilt and self-loathing, or leading to judging and anger and frustration that other people are not following your rules, your rules of shoulds and musts. And it makes it kind of like black and white, right? Because not having the ideal, nothing will be good enough. So if you're not doing what you should be doing, then you're a failure. So it further empowers other cognitive distortions and it traps you into the cycle of bitterness and guilt. So I gave a little bit of examples of how dangerous and powerful cognitive distortion is, right? How does it manifest? I briefly touched on this. So a situation happens, you have these thoughts, it leads to emotions, it leads to behaviors. For example, that wife who came in with a tired husband coming from work and she catastrophizes, she mind reads, and then she emotionally reasons and personalizes, it must be about me, he hates me, he hates this marriage, I want out too. It's kind of like fuels that anger, right? Like these cognitive distortions in your thoughts leads to emotions. And then she chooses to start an argument, start asking these uh, accusatory questions and like, why are you always mad? Why are you making me feel this way? And then he reacts, right? It actually alters the situation to fit your cognitive distortion. And it fulfills your prophecy to validate that cognitive distortion. And it becomes another evidence why your cognitive distortion is real. So enter another layer of color red lenses, right? Your red, your world just became a little bit redder than it was before. So imagine if you're, everybody's kind of walking around with these 20, 30 um, layers of colored lenses, nobody's seeing the true colors. And you know, one of the songs I read, is like hurt people hurts people. It just continues the cycles and everybody's seeing, one person is seeing red and one person is seeing yellow. Nobody's talking right and nobody's talking to each other. And it just further distorts the reality of everybody around you. So how do we get out? How do we end this cycle? I have five steps. Number one, be aware of your cognitive distortions. This is easier said than done. Remember, this is automatic thoughts, right? It's automatic. And sometimes we won't catch it, but it takes a lot of practice, a lot of being present, a lot of mindfulness to realize what you were actually thinking when something happened. So number one is be aware. Number two, evaluate and challenge your cognitive distortions. And we're going to be doing example of that in a little bit, but you need to challenge that cognitive distortion it's like, is that really red? Is that really color red or is that something else, right? You start to be curious and challenge that cognitive distortion. So that's number two. So number three is know your behavior choices. So remember thoughts leads to emotions and leads to behavior. And while it could be so automatic and so quick, as you're stopping and challenging your cognitive distortion, now you're challenging your emotions and now you know which behavior choices you have. You can pick a fight with your husband or you can kind of give him a cup of iced tea and give him some time, or you can kind of, you know, bring it up like, hey, why are you mad, right? So you actually have three choices instead of acting out of your cognitive distortions and distorted emotions, okay? Number four, choose the best one. What would fit most right and appropriate in this situation? 
And number five, continue to stop the cycle. It's gonna take time, right? This cycle has, if you're 20 years old, you've been practicing cognitive distortions for 20 years. So it's not gonna be always possible to catch these automatic thoughts. But as you're catching one by one, you'll start to develop a habit of stopping before you act. And that's the whole point of, you know, what we talked about in the previous episodes of having a stronger mind, right? And feeding what's good. You're going to be undoing that learned behavior of only relying on your cognitive distortions. So now we're going to be processing some of the examples and learn how to challenge the cognitive distortions and lead to more appropriate and healthy conclusions, okay? And I have the attachment in the description box of the PDFs of the dot records, and you can kind of print it out and do this along with these examples. And then I have the blank one so that you can kind of do it with your own thoughts. So for example, let's say that your partner is not texting you back. Your automatic thought was, oh my goodness, is he cheating on me? Now, this is an example of catastrophizing personalization and jumping to conclusions. So imagine if you're in the court of your mind, okay? And you're the judge and that you're the lawyers on both sides. We're going to bring up evidence that he is cheating on you and evidence that he's not cheating on you. So let's As silly as it might sound or as little or unlikely as it might sound, this is where you collect all the data, okay? All the evidence. So let's say the lawyer who's fighting for the evidence that he is cheating on you, the evidence might be, well, we have been getting in a lot of fights lately. And he did say that this relationship is really hard to upkeep. So he did say that in the last fight that we had. The lawyer that is finding, uh, fighting for against the fact that he's cheating on you, the lawyer can say, well, he ended that conversation saying that he wants to try working on it. And he did tell me that he has a lot of meetings today. So we have two evidence on both sides. So what is a more comprehensive conclusion instead of, oh my gosh, is he cheating on me? So conclusion might be most likely he's busy at work, but I can text him just to make sure that he's okay. And we can talk about it tonight. So what are your behavior choices? You can text him or not text him right now, and you can talk about it or not talk about it. So you have these choices instead of acting out of your automatic thought and automatic emotions. So you can see that how this is so much more healthier and productive than acting on your automatic thoughts. So another example is let's say that, and this is real true story. I did this with my patient. Um, Let's say that you got 93 on an exam and you were actually going for 95 plus. Automatic thought could be, you should have gotten 95. This means that you didn't try hard enough. So you see the examples of automatic thoughts, like cognitive distortions of the shoulds, personalization, overgeneralization, mental filtering, and all or nothing. Do you see how all these cognitive distortions can be packed into one thought? So now let's go to the court of the mind again. So what would the lawyer who's trying to prove that you didn't study hard enough, what would he bring up? So it's not your favorite subject. So it was a dread to study for. I left the exam, not sure if I answered some questions correctly. And there's there's a room for improvement because I really hate this subject. So there's an evidence that 
yeah, like I really didn't like studying for this test. And maybe I could have studied more. So the lawyer on the side that's trying to prove that you did study hard enough was that I spent a lot of hours trying to understand the subject that was really hard for me. And sure, I could always study more, but I studied enough to know that if I studied more hours, then I'll be sacrificing sleep. So I I put a lot of number of hours on it. So the conclusion that's healthier than automatic thought of you should have gotten 95 and this means that you didn't try hard enough. The conclusion might be, I tried my best and I still took care of my body and my brain. It was a hard subject for me to grasp and there's always room for improvement. And maybe 93 versus 95 is a half a question that I got wrong. And is this really worth, you know, considering this like a life or death situation on my worth as a student? No. So now we lay out the behavior options. You can kind of accept the grade and just pat on yourself back that 93 is 93, right? And it's still good. And it shows that you knew enough of the subject to get 93. Or you can go back to your professor and ask for feedback or extra help so that you can understand the subject better. Or you can get a a study group and see if they can kind of teach you, you know, other ways to understand the subject. So all these three behaviors would be so much healthier and beating yourself up that you didn't get 95, you're a failure, and you're not going to do well on the next test, right? So slowing down, laying down your options, and choosing the one that is most productive and helpful and healthy to you. I just want to take a pause and you're kind of, you know, if you're listening to cognitive distortion and seeing how powerful it is, you might be feeling like, but what if it is real? What if I can't break these cognitive distortions? And I can totally admit and understand that it's scary to challenge your cognitive distortions. But remember, let's just start with one cognitive distortions at a time. We're not going to be, you know, ripping out 50 lenses, colored lenses off your eyes right now. We're going to be starting with one pair of glasses at a time. And it's going to take a lot of practice. And remember that these cognitive distortions, as devastating and hurtful it could be, it actually served the purpose for you to survive. Don't beat yourself up for believing in this cognitive distortion. It was there in your mind for a reason. But now that you're here and we're in this brave space, we can openly challenge these cognitive distortions and see if the world is really that color. And just know that you're not going to be doing this alone. I would recommend really getting a therapist or a psychiatrist or a friend to do this with. And challenging our world can be scary because we have to face the possibility of being wrong or disappointed or confronting or maybe getting reaffirmed that you or the world is that worst case scenario. The reality is that it's probably not all true like the cognitive distortion makes you believe that it is true. And in a way, I view life as this. There's always part of us that wants and needs to improve. And sometimes cognitive distortions, what they're saying could be true. But there's always part of us that are good and worth fighting for. And I think life is worth fighting for. I think you deserve to know all the different colors of the rainbow in this world, the true colors of life, good and bad. So in summary, it's like this. Over time, rigid attachment to these cognitive distortions makes us actually believe that the world and we are that color, like color red, okay? It really limits us from seeing true colors, 
true worth, and true experience of this world and life. And my question for you is, is this a sustainable way of living your life? Can you imagine Can you imagine what your life would be like if you didn't have to constantly look at life with all these lenses? Maybe the negative thoughts would subside. Maybe you might see yourself a little bit differently other than a constant failure. And do you want that? Do you want that bad enough that you're willing to just stop and question, how did I get here? How did my thoughts get here? And this is what this podcast and this brave space is about, is that we take one day at a time, one thought at a time, one moment at a time, so that we can have a better chance at looking at the life with true colors that you deserve. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking about anxiety and kind of break it down and why is it so tiring and draining for the person who has anxiety and also people around them. And my hope is that we can kind of study anxiety in a different angle so that we can get some relief within that episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and just being present with me in this brave space. If you know anyone who has cognitive distortions, you know, share this episode and see if they can benefit from it because we can all end our cycle um, of cognitive distortions and eventually it helps each other out. Again, thank you so much and I'll see you next time.